Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Awesome. We'll try that one more again. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Awesome. Glad to be with the students. Y'all doing good over there? Where my guys, where my guys at? Come on. Who? 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 See, we connected, man. We, I'm telling you, man, it's about to go down in here. Uh, that was extra. That wasn't in the notes. So anyway, but, um, but I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad um, we're back in the house of the Lord. I hope you guys made it through a good week, and uh, we're going to continue our series entitled Seven Letters. Um, thank you, Bree, for doing that. And by the way, let me just give a, a, just a caveat thought to what Bree said. She is the graphics designer. So again, what you see, a lot of the stuff, her and Devin, I don't have anything here with me, but just all the flyers, the handouts, the, the bumpers, um, the design for the series as we preach through different series, it, it comes from her office and then that communications office. So I want to say we have some very talented people on our team. So thank you guys. Thank you for being extraordinaire. Amen. And so, um, but again, we're in our... This series is week six, man, I, I'm excited about, week seven actually, I'm excited about what God is doing through this series. I've heard multiple people say, this is, um, yes, we've learned about the churches, but I've been revealing or God has been revealing different things about me in particular as a believer. And so I'm grateful to hear that God is working in your life in that manner. Man, there's a lot to be thankful for. Kids week is coming up. I'm excited about that. If you're, I was hoping to hear something, amen, but, um, but you know. Kids week's coming up. Over 400 plus people will be here running through this, uh, running on the campus. It's going to be great. So if you're a volunteer, thank you. Um, I know Pastor Josh is working hard behind the scenes. Kelsey Lynn has transitioned on, but I want to thank her from afar. Man, she set it up very good, and I'm grateful for that as well. So I'm also, I want to encourage you to pray for, pray for God to really save souls during Kids Week. But authentic salvations. I know sometimes it can be really emotional with little ones, but but to really that God will seize the hearts of the little ones and begin to raise up the next generation of leaders. If God had it his way, I've said it every single time, I've, I believe I've gotten up this, uh, on this series, but if God had his way, what would the church actually look like? If the Lord had it his way, if he had it his way, not our way, I would wonder that there would be less drama in the church, be less backbiting, if the Lord had it his way. Though we'll put down preferences, we'll pick up biblical conviction, we will desire to see God's will done and us really get out the way, if God had it his way. And it's funny because the church we're talking about today is the church of um, Philadelphia. And the word actually means, the word Philadelphia means brotherly love. Some of you guys know this already, brotherly love. Uh, that's what the, the church, it means but it's interesting that even in this context, as this is the, the definition of the word, in our culture and context today, it seems as if we're not a brotherly love type church, but rather brotherly shove. We love to shove around, and whether with our words, whether with um, posture, whatever the case may be, but, but this context is amazing that the Lord, out of the seven different churches, this one and uh, Smyrna are the only two that the Lord doesn't have a negative critique about. So there's something for us to really learn here this morning. As we look at this text, I want you to turn with your Bibles, if you have them with you, uh, Revelation 3, looking at verse 7, we'll go through verse uh, 13. Normally what we do here is we read the text, we'll build some scaffolding, land the plane, and then we will get on out of here. Everybody good with that? 
Amen. Somebody say, yes, sir. Amen. All right. The Bible reads this way in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, and the angel of the church, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? Right? Church in Philadelphia, brotherly love. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Let me just say this to you. What God has for you is for you. What God has for you is for you. Nobody can take it, even though somebody, and people try to take it and mess with it. What God has for you is for you. The Bible goes on to say this. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. This is very interesting language. I'll, I'll dig, dig in a little bit later on the back end. I know that you have put, I know you, I know you have but little power, excuse me, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not. He says, but lie. He says, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. That's so good. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Then he says, I am coming, period. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who's conquered, I will make him a pillar or her in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him or her the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven. Great imagery, right? And my own new name. And he goes on to say, he who has ears, let him or her hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia, 25 miles southeast of Sardis. Pastor Josh did a great job last week dealing with um, the church of Sardis. It's a hard one to really deal with. He did a great job. Um, Pastor Daquan will deal with Laodicea. I you know, gave him the hard ones on purpose. Amen. And so I want to, let me, let me deal with Philadelphia. I mean, y'all deal with them other ones. Amen. So, but, but Josh did a great job. And so he dealt with Sardis. This church was not too far from it in walking distance. It's set on a high plateau. It's a small church in a difficult area, not much prestige or even wealth. But it's amazing that out of all of these churches, God will coin what he coins to them. He writes something very specific. In other words, verse 7 says, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, talking about doors, and who shuts and no one will open. This is literally all again. This is, I hope you see this, as, especially as we deal with um, Leo to see the next week and the rest of them as we've talked about in the previous weeks is that God's sovereignty is all over the book of Revelation. Not only the book of Revelation, but it's all, all over the whole entire Bible. In essence, CPR for the Christian, your CPR, my CPR, it is the sovereignty of God. The fact that God is in control, nothing is out of control. Though it may seem as if things are out of control, let me tell you, based on this text, the Bible says that he is the holy one and the true one. And nothing is out of, his, out of his control. So out of the gate, we see something very interesting. This is a small church. It seems as if, you know, very insignificant in the context, in the culture, in the midst of other churches around. But God has something special to tell them. And I, I want to pray this for y'all, and I hope you hear me this morning. I hope you really hear me this morning. Though cross, crossroads may be small in number, we have God 
on our backside. Though Crossroads may seem as if it's smaller, God is not done with this church. I can boldly say that. Why? Because when I look at scriptures like this, Philadelphia, and it's not necessarily just them, it's what they, their conviction is what it was. It was, it was God's word. I'm trying not to get all my notes, but they held on to his scripture. In other words, it's, as you peel back layers in this actual passage and look at this church, they had everything in common like Acts chapter 2. Nobody was bickering. There wasn't a lot of fighting. But they said, look, man, if there's anything that's going to happen in this context, we want to hold on to the word of God. And what we say, let that be secondary, tertiary. And may the word of God be primary. So out of the gate, we see this, that God, Jesus, he rewards faithfulness. Verse 8 says, I know your works. Now, pretty much he said this at, with every single church. I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. As I was studying this week, I thought about it. I said, this is very alarming because if God knows everything about me, there should be a sense of conviction. There should be a sense of comfort too, by the way. But, but the fact that God knows everything about you and I, I think sometimes we, we lose thought of that in our own lives. That maybe we can just hide some things. Maybe we can just hide some sin. Maybe we can just, um, just scoot some things under the carpet. But, but here we see the sovereign God. Again, God's sovereignty is the CPR for our, our lives as believers as we follow him. But the fact that he has everything under control should, it should have a real sense of conviction within your own heart. And just to say this, contrary to the popular belief out there, God created the, it's this whole idea and ideology that God created the earth and left it alone. It's a big, that's a, that's a serious ideology out there. I put, um, I have a little handout here, not a handout, but a little slide. Come on, do we get it? Bang, there it is. All right. This is called moralistic therapeutic deism. You know, don't try to say that multiple times, but it's all good. Here's what it teaches. And here's why here's I'm after this. Here's why I want to pull this out. Because the Bible says in verse 7, and the, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One. I'll deal with Isaiah uh, 22 in just a little bit. He says, the true one who has the key of David and who opens and then no one shuts and then who shuts and no one opens. But in our culture today, here's what moralistic therapeutic deism, what it believes. That a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. So it's kind of like just, just kind of created it and spun it all, spun it into existence and kind of let it run its own self. That God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, right? Not brotherly shove, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy underneath this ideology and to feel good about oneself. We don't have a hard time doing that, do we? Feeling good about ourselves? What about four? God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And then lastly, God, uh, good people, excuse me, go to heaven when, when they die. That's that mindset. But here, the Lord just, he shatters this idea. And this is why he, he calls himself the one true God, the one true God, the one true God. Why is that important? Because he has all power and he has all authority. This is literally hearken to Isaiah 22. In essence, talking about that in David's camp in the temple, someone will receive keys, and the per person that received those keys, they had the highest position within that regime. 
But not only that, outside of David. But then not, not only that, they also had the greatest authority. They can actually unlock doors and lock doors within the temple. And then the custom was, if this individual who had the keys did this, nobody could thwart it. It was an overshadow or foreshadow, if you will, of Jesus, even to this text right here in Revelation chapter 3. The fact that God has all authority. He tells them, I have all authority. I am the true one. I know your works. And guess what? You've kept my word, but I'm going to give you some opportunities. Because you are small, because it may seem as if you're irrelevant, I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm going to give you opportunities that no one can mess with. I'm going to give you opportunities that no one can take from you. I'm going to open up doors that no one can take from you. Crossroads, this is very prophetic for you and I. There are some things that God wants to do through this church. If we do not get out the way, it will not happen. Crossroads, hear me say this. When I mean get out the way, I'm saying this. If we allow God to be God, again, you remember the offset statement I made. If, we, if God had it his way, what would the church actually look like? Now, as I was studying this, I'm thinking about Philadelphia, but I'm also thinking about other churches, and you'll see what I mean about that in a little bit. But if we allow the Lord to do what he wants to do, there are great opportunities right before us. And it seemed as if this small church in Philadelphia was like, man, uh, man, we, we, we want to hold to God's word. Is that enough? I want to say this. As a church, if we stand and hold to the word of God, that's enough. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need um, tricks. We don't need uh, the glitter. We don't need none of that stuff. If we hold to the word of God. And it's funny because he tells them, man, because you've held to my word. This is interesting because God knows and he also hears. So the fact that he knows that you hold on to his word and that you believe and that you're praying scripture to him on the regular throughout the night like Daniel did three times a day, God hears us. He hears you. And it tells me this, that he got you. Ah, this is good. He got you. Think about, think about Moses before Pharaoh and his army. Moses was, you know, a relatively younger gentleman, if you will, and he came with all these excuses before God saying, hey, I like a stutter. I mean, you know, who am I? Whatever. But the Bible says that God was with him. What about Elijah? He stood before 400 prophets of Baal, and he was a man riddled with anxiety and worry. But yet the Bible declares, and we know this to be true as we read in 1 Kings, that God was with, God was with him. He had it. What about after three years of public ministry, Jesus had maybe 120 faithful disciples, but yet those faithful disciples flipped the world upside down, by which you and I were beneficiaries from. So here's what I'm pointing out. They held to his word. God had their back. And this is what he wants us to see. He wants to see this. Weakness, not as the world may see weakness, but such weakness is what made Philadelphia suitable to be an instrument of power in the, in the hands of God. Steadfastness and perseverance are tremendous tools in the hands of the Lord. We see this with this church. And as a result of that, the Lord said, before you, Philadelphia, before you, Crossroads, I want you to know this, that it stood an open door and stands an open door. I'm going to open doors for you and no one can close them. So what does that mean for you and I? As we cross the cultural bridge from Philadelphia back in Bible times, as we cross the bridge now, the cultural bridge to 2021, what does this mean? What type of opportunities are before us, you and I? Well, in the state of Texas, did a little research. In the state of Texas, there are 13,491 kids waiting to be adopted. That's the largest of the whole nation. 
California is second at 12,000 and something. 13,000 some odd kids in the state of Texas in the system ready to be adopted. I would think that if the church would rise up and say, man, there's an open door that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus and the gospel is not just intellectual, but it's actually something that has just revolutionized my soul, then I wonder if we can start chipping at this whole 13,000 kids out there in the system. Well, you say, Mark, that's a big task. Well, we serve a big God. We serve a big God. I like only like three people clap. I like that. It's all good in the hood. Amen. Houston, the city, the Woodlands and the greater Houston area. Uh, well, just Houston alone is 2.3 something million people. If you add all the other great cities around it, the Woodlands, you got the Sugar Land, I mean, all, you got all this stuff, all these other great cities around, it will sum up to be 6.7 something million people. This is amazing. And as a matter of fact, in the last five years, this has increased 15%. So the Lord is almost like teeing it up for you and I. I'm not saying that God is raising crossroads up to be the answer to the whole culture. I'm not saying that. But I guess you, you better hear me say this. We have a, a role and a job to play. One of the highest and largest Hispanic populations in the country right here on our front porch. Think of this. He tells Philadelphia, you may seem small, you may seem insignificant, but I'm going to open some doors, and it may seem as if everybody will be laughing and, and doing their thing, but I'm going to open some doors, and, and the doors that I open, you better guess what? Nobody can shut them. Nobody can shut these doors. Y'all like, man, what door, Marcus? You, you on a whole other hype. I am. Because we did not move across the country to play church. This is a, this is, we're on assignment to reach the loss, not steal sheep. To reach the loss. To reach lost people. I'm going to say it again. To reach lost people. Not to steal sheep, not all that stuff. We, we're not into that. If people choose to feel led to come here, that's, that's between them and the Lord. But we are here to literally to reach and develop disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, you have a huge Hispanic, Salvadorian, Vietnamese culture, Chinese culture right here, even Pakistanian right here in Houston. It is massive what God has done. It is massive like the opportunity right before us, the most diverse city in the whole nation. Right here, we live in it. The nations has come right literally to us. 380,000 churches in America. You say, Mark, there's a lot of churches. You're right. In over 12 um, excuse me, about 2,500 of those close their doors each year. But what does that mean for you and I? What about Harris County? In Harris County, there are 3,031 churches in Harris County alone. That means ratio population to churches is for every 1,350 people, there's one church. That, that's, not a, that's not a good stat. If we're called to reach the loss, what about Montgomery County? Over 350 plus different churches in Montgomery County as we speak. That means population-wise within Montgomery County where we're at, that there's 1,000, for every 1,365 individuals, there's only one church. Think of that. Like there's only one church for this many people. So the Lord tells Philadelphia, 
um, here's why I'm opening up the door so that ministry can happen. That um, I'm, I'm really putting, I'm putting everybody on notice in Philadelphia that, hey, look, if you want to mess with this church, I've opened up the door. I have the key. I have the authority. I'm allowing them. I've placed them in this sovereign place in history so that they can actually be something phenomenal for my glory and they're good, that they may reach the lost, that ministry may happen. Church, hear me say this. I hope that we can eradicate, just in Montgomery County, the, um, the, the adoption issue and even the foster care issue right here in Montgomery County. There's 170 to 180 kids right here in, in Montgomery County waiting to be adopted or just even fostered. Like, by the way, that's, we have that number here. That's a great opportunity to say, Marcus, you, now, you, now you're meddling. I don't want to do that. Well, maybe God is calling you to foster. Maybe he is calling you to adopt. We say, you're just preaching it. Are you going to do it? Well, my wife and I, we, we're praying through this as we speak. We want to adopt. Now, now this, I'm really got to hear from the Lord. Amen. But we want to adopt a little boy to showcase. That's one of the greatest ways to showcase the gospel, being adopted into a family. So he tells him, man, look, you have an open opportunity. It's right before you. And, and the gospel will go forth. But when the gospel goes forth, you better expect opposition. He tells him, look at the text. He says, and by the way, verse 9, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews. They were causing a lot of drama and are not. He says, but lie. He says, behold, I want you to check this out, young church. Keep holding to my word. I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. I told the first hour this, and I'm going to tell this hour this too. I've said it before. The Lord takes his church very serious. Um, over family vacations, the family camp we just went through, we just walked through um, Romans being grafted into the body of Christ and trying to help our girls understand what that means and being grafted. God takes his church very, very serious. So hear me when I say this. If you have a desire in this church, to cause dissension, to be a noise of negativity, God will deal with you. As hard as it is to say that, he takes this church serious. He tells young Philadelphia, don't, don't, just, you keep holding to my word. Keep holding to my word. When the gospel advances, you better expect opposition. And he tells them, I see your position. You have little power. I see it. But yet you have great potential. Why? Because I've opened up doors. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be in peace with him or be at peace with him. That's what the Lord tells him. He said, I kept you from that hour. This is what I'm doing. Look at, look at verse uh, 10. It's quiet in here. Amen. Look at verse 10. Because you have kept my word. Notice it's not based on them just doing stuff. Sardis was very known for uh, the past years of ministry. But here he says, it's not based on anything you really do. It's really just standing on my word. It's really standing on my word. It's really standing on my word, trusting my word. Verse 10b says, the fact that you've done that, I'm going to keep you in that hour, that trial that is coming. Now, many people, there's different views on this, and I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But think of this thought. If God is powerful enough to take you to heaven, he is also powerful enough to have your back on earth. We see it throughout scriptures. I named a couple of people, Moses, Gideon, Elijah, uh, all these great people. He had their back. He has Philadelphia's back. And just know that he has, he has our back. This is true. 
Well, there's different views in regards to this. The first one is the pre-trib view. So what does it mean being kept during that hour of trial? Well, one is the pre-trib view. That means that in the day of tribulation, there's seven years of tribulation, three and a half years, and then another three and a half years. That before the first three and a half years even comes to play, that God is going to rapture or take up his church to be with him. That's one view. The second view is mid-trib, that in, after the first three and a half years, the Lord will then take his people to be with him in the middle of the tribulation. So they'll endure some of the, the trials, if you will. And then there's another thought out there, school of thought, that says there's a post. After the seven years, that then the Lord will come through. I want to let you know where we stand as a church and where I stand is pre-trib. Pre-tribulation, the scripture is very clear in regards to this. There's arguments, if you want to say that, for other ones. But pre-trib, but even greater than just the different views, how about this? That maybe the Lord is just saying, look, I'm going to keep you in an hour of trial that your soul won't be messed with. Regardless of the different views, in essence, maybe your soul, it will not be messed with because I'm with you. Remember I said in, verse, in the first week that it's, the, it's his sovereign care. It's his sovereign care. He cares about you and I. And as a result of that, he says, man, look, I know your faithfulness. I'm going to reward it. But then also, he promises a crown. Verse 11 says, and I'm coming soon, period. I'm coming soon, period. Aren't you glad Jesus is coming back? I heard one preacher say, um, and I actually think this was the greatest statement. Man, I don't want to be so earthly minded that I'm, I'm not heavily good, right? You know, y'all heard that statement before, right? Anybody? I, I don't want to be so earthly minded that I'm not heavily good. Some of us, we can flip it and say we're so heavenly minded that we're not even earthly good. The point is this, that we need to be ready when the Lord comes back. And so what he's telling this young church in Philadelphia is that, hey, look, hey, look, there's an open opportunity. There's a door. Ministry is getting ready to happen. Seize the moment when the door opens. Walk through the door. You don't know when I'm coming back. I don't know. Uh, we don't know. I don't know. The Bible declares he'll come, he'll come in like a thief in the night. Paul would say in some of his other writings that the day is near. The writer in Hebrews said when the, 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 day, is, the day is long, I'm, I'm coming back, if you will. Other, uh, other prophets will say that the, the time is now. And if they can say that, it's 2021 now. Man, I'm going to tell you something. We, man, when, when is he coming back? We don't know. But church, we have great opportunity. We have great time right now to seize the moment and to make a difference for his kingdom. So we have. We have that right now at our, our fingertips. And it's amazing that, that this church, all he did was held on to God's word. That's all he tells them. Man, you just, you just held on to my word. In the midst of your trials that you're going through right now, I want to encourage you to hold on to God's word. In the midst of marriage struggles, I want to encourage you to do this. Stand on God's word. In the midst of prodigals being gone, in the midst of all the confusion and question marks in your life, whatever they may be, stand on God's word. Why? Because the word declares this in Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. It stands forever. You know, this book is indestructible. This book has withstood time. It has withstood ridiculing. It has withstood trying to be destroyed. This book is not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, I've been doing Ecclesiastes in my, my personal time, 
It's amazing that it's kind of depressing, like all is vanity. You mean like, dang, bro, you didn't enjoy nothing, right? I mean, all is vanity, all is vanity, all is vanity, all is vanity. But one thing he makes clear, Solomon, he says, man, God's word remains. It just, it just, it just will stand the time. So this church, what they do? They held on to God's word. Nothing can stop this book. Nothing can stop this book. And this is what I want to encourage us as a church going forward. I read this some time back um, during lockdown, but I thought it was very appropriate for, um, for this sermon. In 298 AD, Diocletius, if you will, he um, persecuted the Christian church. The Roman emperor, he was a Roman emperor who murdered preachers and burned Christian villages. He split Christian families just as a, as a joke and as fun. This is what he did. Then... In an unspeakable act of arrogance, set out to burn every Bible within the emperor, to, so, so he thought. Over this burn pile of Bibles, he declared in Latin, extincta nomina Christor renora, which means the name of Christ is extinct. Not even 10 years later, he handpicked his successor, Constantine, maybe we know that name, Constantine to take over. Trying to figure out what he saw in the sky, Constantine, he said, look, I need a Bible. I need to read Genesis. I got to figure out, man, this whole idea, man, God is, he's the creator. I got to see, somebody give me a Bible. And he summoned people in this kingdom to get a Bible. Diocletius would have thought that there's no Bibles remaining because he burned them all. But after 25 hours or 24 hours, more than 50 copies of the Bible showed up. Like literally 50 copies because not even the world's top rulers can stop this book. Not, not even. Well, uh, 1778, when the notorious French philosopher Voltaire made an impressive, unprecedented, and even blasphemous prediction. He said this, in 100 years, many of y'all heard this before, in 100 years, the Bible will be no more. The Bible will be no more. And a few years later, he died, and the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and used it as a distribution center to put Bibles all over the world. <laughs> Nobody can stop this book. And this is why the Lord is saying, because you've held on to my word. You've held on to my word, not culture, not, not the trends, not the fads, if you will. You've held on to my word. We have a lot of Contemporary pundits in declaring the death of the word of God, but those who have placed the Bible in the casket of irrelevance and lowered into the ground of this disregard have come to discover and realize that the Bible outlives its pallbearers. God's word is unrelenting. His truth is everlasting. His commands are un, uh, enduring. His gospel is indestructible. His judgments are indisputable. His corrections are timeless. This book is fresher. Y'all have heard me say this. It's fresher than tomorrow's newspaper. It is more definite than the Constitution. It's the backbone of science. It is the highest aim of philosophy. It is inspiration. It is the inspiration of poetry. It is God's holy word. Not only that, it will clarify your call. And some of y'all need some clarification. It will clarify your call. It will transform your life. It will help you fight temptation. It will give you light for your path. It will build your faith. It will feed your soul. Talking about the word. Time cannot age this book. And age does not time it. It is the only book that can, be, that can cure what it diagnoses. Not only that, you have read many books, but this is the only book when you read it, it's reading you. This is literally, 
This is it. God's word is what I'm talking about. God's word here. Herod could not stop it. Diocletius couldn't destroy it. Nero could not tame it. Hitler could not change it. Thomas Jefferson could not redact it. Saul of Tarsus, he could not kill it. Moses tried to record it. Jeremiah couldn't drop it. It was like fire in his bones, the Bible says. Hosea couldn't divorce it. It is the timeless, indestructible, self-sustaining word of God. And as a result, as a result, as a result, the Lord tells them, you've held on what? To trends, to your own preferences? No, you held on to my word. There's something there, saints. God's word knows how to encourage us when we need it most. It knows how to prod us when we need it most. It knows, it knows how to guide us when we need it most. And as a young church that was small and insignificant, God says, I'm going to open up the door. You're standing on my word. I'm going to give you a platform now so ministry can happen, that souls will be saved. People will be discipled. But what else? He said, I'm going to give you a crown. I'm going to give you a crown. Philadelphia was a, a town that um, they had all their games and athletic games. So this was a very fitting um, analogy for this context, right? So they, they did all this stuff. So, he, so them hearing this, they would have been like, oh, okay, cool, a crown? Like the reef, right? Yeah, a crown, yeah. He said, if you keep this, my word, I will, you'll receive a crown. But not only that, he says, I will make you like a pillar in the temple of my God. Verse 12. What's so significant about that? Philadelphia was riddled with earthquakes. This particular context, Philadelphia was, um, was on a fault line, and so what would happen is, y'all know this, earthquake would hit, foundation messed up, it would cause the church to, to fall apart and just be just in shambles. And then over the years, what happened, people began to have more remorse for the church, and they helped rebuild it, still not to some beautiful edifice, but to something that was doable for them to actually have and host uh, gatherings. So it's amazing that the Lord will use this language that um, I'm going to give you a crown. I know you do your games, but I'm going to give you a greater crown. But then not only that, a place that's riddled with earthquakes, he says, now what I'm going to do, check this out. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have, verse 11, so that no one may seize your crown. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in a place where the foundation has been shaken so many times. Is your foundation shaken this morning? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's just uncertainty. Maybe it's just the future. The Lord says, I'm going to make what's uncertain certain for you. He goes on to say, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So on these pillars is what he's saying in the city of God. Can you imagine this? He's going to make him a pillar. This is a great promise. He's going to make him a pillar, but then write these cool names on there so everybody can see. He's, it's like he's tatting up, if you will, tatting up the poles with these great names. And he says, but if you endure, it'll happen. It's amazing because Philadelphia, they didn't know the end of the story. This is only chapter three. There's 21 chapters in Revelation, but the funny thing is you and I, post the resurrection, we know the end of the story. We know he's coming back. But sometimes, doesn't it feel as if that you just, anybody get homesick? I mean, some days you're watching the news and you go, man, this is just crazy. 2020 was crazy enough. Anybody agree with 2020? Yeah? 2020 was wild. It, it just causes this longing. It's like, man, I want Jesus. Like, I, I want to get out of here. Man, Jesus, can you come back? He said he's coming back. Can, man, I just, I just... Ah, as we articulate what Crossroads will be like going forward, 
We desire to be a, a taste of heaven a long way from home. It's funny, my family and I, we just got back from family vacation or family camp. And typically family camp, you hear family camp, it sounds cheesy, right? Family camp, you got the dad, it's going to be the, you know, get the pie in the face and everybody laugh. You know, just family camp, right? Cheesy. But this was, it was tra life transforming. We just pulled in um, at about 9.15 last night. 9.15 last night and um, we get home, we unpack the van and, and uh, we, you know, get situated or whatever and, and um, our girls are distraught. They're like, when I mean distraught, they're, they're crying and, well, babies, what's going on? What, what? And I mean, just sobbing. We don't want to be here. I'm like, dang, well, hold on. Let's, let's, let's counseling session going on here. What do you mean you don't want to be here? We don't want to be here. We don't, we don't, we want to go back to camp. They had such a great time. They experienced God on, at such a, a deep level. So Bible studies, relationally, and just as a family, us as a unit, they literally in tears. Even this morning, they were sad again. We got to figure this out. Amen. So, but, um, <laughs> but what we told them last night is this. We said, hey, look, we already pre-registered to go back next year. <gasps> really? You see Nene's face. She's like, oh, uh, oh. right? Really? Yeah. We, we are it, was, it was that bomb. It was the bomb. But the funny thing is, we can pre-register, but we're boasting about tomorrow. But what it did for them is gave them a little bit of hope. Like the tears were like, ah, oh. <laughs> it gave them a little bit of hope. But that's just Mandy and I, as a married couple, boasting about tomorrow. Here's what the Lord is telling us. He says he's coming back. He's coming back. And he's not boasting. It's emphatic. So hope in that. It's funny, too, that, uh, you know, stinking, they always put you up to a test, you know. So they talked me into doing a zip line. I can't be the only dad there not doing a zip line, okay? So they get me on this deal. You go up the, like, three, four stories of stairs. Man, it's the wildest thing ever. And as you get, like, literally, as you're walking up, you get to, like, the second tier the whole, all the stairs felt like it was leaning this way. So I haven't even got to the top yet. And first of all, I'm, I'm trembling. The stairs are leaning. I haven't even got on the zip line yet. So I'm going with a, a Maya. That's my middle. She's a warrior. She can walk up to a lion and just pet it. She's running up the deal. Come on, daddy, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to the, the, this side. I'm, I'm scooting like this here. You feel me? Scooting. Come on, come on, daddy. She, she shoots to the top. We get to the platform, it's small, ooh. And I don't know, some of them, they have like at least a wall or something you can kind of be behind just in case you like get dizzy and like, and then maybe fall back. This, had no, this thing had nothing. It was just a drop. So I come over here, the girl, she's helping me, she's getting me all hooked in, carabine, all that stuff. It's always awkward too, man, the whole deal is awkward. So you carabined in, she goes, I need you to step forward, sir. I said, no, you do not. I'm doing good right where I'm at. She said, no, I need you to step forward. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to connect you to the, the harness that, that's going to take you down so you're secure. So I said, well, okay, I'm going to trust you in this deal. But then she said, no, not just step forward. I need you to step on this big old box. The box is like, so now it's elevating me even higher. Now, I shouldn't say that. No, it would be bad. So, but, but now, I'm even, I'm frightened more. But I look over a little, little Amaya. 
She over here like this. She harnessed in. She's already ready to go looking at me like, Dad, you tripping. She's on the edge going, come on, come on, come on, come on, right? So now I'm harnessed on this side. I'm back. She's on the edge ready to jump off. And so the instructor said, whenever you guys are ready. Don't tell me that because I ain't ready. Amen. <laughs> but little, little Maya, she goes, one, two, three. I would have been a cruel dad. Like, one, two, three. Psych your mind, right? You know what I mean? But she goes, and I was like this the whole time, right? Doing all this deal. It was crazy. The experience, it impacted us. Why did I share that story? God has great experiences for you and I. But if we don't hold on to God's word like Philadelphia did, we'll always be willing to stay on the platform and not seize the moment. Jump off the platform. Maybe your marriage, maybe just trusting them, maybe it's serving, maybe it's asking for forgiveness. I don't know what it is, but jump off the platform. They held to his word, and if we trust his word, that's good enough. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for um, the church of Philadelphia. A church that was small and felt as if it was insignificant, but you had great plans for it. And Lord, we truly believe that. Yes, for the church of Philadelphia, but also for us. You have a perfect plan for Crossroads. We thank you for the 27 fruitful and faithful years. But Lord, we can't live in the past. We have to build and shoot for the future. So we believe that you have something great for us. So I pray this over the congregation and those watching online, that we will be a church that is marked by brotherly love. Not just brotherly love, but Lord, that's marked by standing on truth. And Lord, only you can do this. Spirit of God, only you can do this. I can't change anybody. ABF leaders can't change anybody. Our core leadership can't change anybody. Spirit of God, we ask you that you allow us to get to a place in our walks with you that when we read scripture, the indestructible, inspired, infallible word of God, if there's a disagreement between your word and our lives, we will get to a place of humility and say, God, you are right and I'm wrong. So Lord, help us to seize the moment. Help us to walk through the doors as you've given us. You're a wise investor. We desire to be great stewards and good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. Everything belongs to you anyway. So help us to have a kingdom mindset that's connected with the horizontal, with real life and real time, real relationships, neighbors, friends, coworkers, because, Lord, if we hold to your word, you're, you're faithful. You said, hey, look, I'm going to promise you. I'm going to reward it. I got your back. So thank you for you being faithful. And truly, Lord, all we do is we get to be beneficiaries of your faithfulness to yourself. Your word declares that you remain faithful. You cannot be faithless. For if that's the case, you'll deny yourself, and we know that's not possible. You remain faithful. 
help us, Lord, to be a church that really stands on the word. Help us, help us, help us, help us. Not to be churchy. Not to be too sophisticated. But to be sensitive to your spirit. To be led by your word. In all that we do. It's in your name we pray.